Hey, welcome to the Bill Bennett Show. It's the podcast that translates President Trump. We take an honest look at the current administration. We expose the existential threats to America. Joining me today, Joel Farkas. He's the director of the American Strategy Group. I'm a fellow of the American Strategy Group in Washington. But let me discuss a few things first with my friend Claude. So here we are, Claude. All the polls say Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. But we remember what happened in 2016. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Vegas odds have Biden, and the Vegas odds, of course, are not influenced by politics. Those guys are just interested in making money. Right. And, you know, he's the things that, that bother me as a, as a guy who supports Trump are that older folks seem to be supporting Biden. Now they're worried about COVID and, you know, their, their Medicare coverage, ACA coverage, not Medicare. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, the suburban women. But I don't know. I mean, the polls are this way. The numbers all suggest it. But there are other signs the other way. These crowds that the president's getting are enormous, enormous. The enthusiasm for him among his supporters is huge. Not so for Biden. But we'll see. Um, Let me ask you this. This thing that is breaking about uh, Joe Biden and Hunter Biden and the laptop and all that, uh, it looks pretty serious. Now, my view of this is it looks pretty serious. We got this morning. We got this Navy guy who served with uh, Hunter Biden who said, oh, yeah, he was trying to get millions of dollars out of these governments and get some of the money to his dad. You know, I said on TV the other night, the interesting thing about this was the Bidens have not denied it. Mm -hmm. They've said, oh, it's a smear and it's terrible and you guys are doing your usual. But they haven't denied these emails or the truth of them. So that tells me there's a there there. The question I have is, do people care about this? I don't know that they do. I think it is such a crazy year and such an intense year and a year of such intense feeling, Claude. You know, COVID, uh, jobs, you know, your security, ability to go out, staying at home, uh, you know, the economy, kids not in school. Mm -hmm. I think concerns are more immediate than that. So we'll see. Now, what I'd like to do, Claude, uh, is invite our audience to email us because they're listening. Some of them saying, well, come on, Bill. Come on, Claude. What's going to happen? Right. We, don't, we don't know. <laughs> I have no clue. You, you tell us what's going to happen. Uh, separate your hopes and your fears from your analysis. What will happen? Send us an email and we will do this next week with you. So if they want to send an email with their opinion about what's going to happen on November 3rd, what do they do exactly? Just send an email to BillBennettPodcast at gmail.com and we will read them we and respond read. to them. We'll just read them. We'll, we'll read and respond. Yeah, we'll read a, we'll read a few on air and we'll respond. Right. We'll see what right. we think. But we'd love to know your judgment. And do we have a, an award for someone who comes the closest? Oh, you know what? We didn't. We weren't, but we can. Yeah, let's do it. What, what do you want to do for whoever can, comes the closest? What can we give them? Um, well, you know you what? Any, we, you have anything? I don't have anything. Well, we can <laughs> send them one of your books, or I can quickly write a yeah. pamphlet, and then we can send them one of my, or we can send them one of my quickly written pamphlets. One of your organizing <laughs> rally pamphlets, right? <laughs> right. Right. Oh, we'll send them a book. That's a good idea. We'll send yeah, them a book. We'll send their, a book. their choice of the Bennett uh, oeuvre, yeah, whatever, whatever Bennett book they want. So they've got to guess winner and percentage or points or? Yeah. They, oh, well, maybe guess the date. That the election will be called. Well, can uh, give us this: who will win, <laughs> by how much? That uh-huh. that is electoral votes. I don't care about popular vote. And when will the election actually be officially decided, stamped, okay. approved, done? Claude, I'm doing a couple of specials for Fox Nation. Okay. One of them is on education, kind of the history of ed- American education. Mm-hmm. 
what we did and what we were doing right and when we went off track and how to get it back on track, what went wrong, what's our situation, what are our scores, how are our kids doing, what can we do to make it better. Nice. So I'll be doing that. And then uh, just a few days ago, I got a call and they asked if I'd do a, uh, a narration for a 30-minute uh, documentary on uh, St. Nicholas. Oh, get out of here. Remember St. Nicholas, The Life of St. Nicholas? Right. Well, you wrote a book. The True St. Nicholas. I wrote a book called The True St. Nicholas. And um, they want me to narrate about his life and history and his legacy and how, in some ways, he became Santa Claus. Mm -hmm. Uh, At least it was borrowed. Some things were borrowed from him to become Santa Claus. So that'll be fun. Yeah. Uh, That'll go out December sometime, you know, before Christmas. Mm-hmm. So a couple, couple nice projects and we'll keep people posted about them. Yeah. Just subscribe to Fox nation. Right. And uh, from what I understand, the fee is just five ninety nine a month and yeah, they get cheap. all this Fox yeah, content, including your two new projects. Hey, you get all that crime stuff. You get monsters, you get history. Mm-hmm. You get uh, one. I'm really interested in watching is they got one on um, black Hawk down, you know, the, the Mogadishu thing. Mm-hmm. That would be very interesting. They interview the guys who were there in the helicopters. So Hmm. I'd I'd be interested in seeing that. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Okay, uh, Dr. Bill, we've got a few emails here. This one. Oh, we uh, do. Emails. We get get letters. Good, good, good. Plenty of them. Uh, So uh, this is from uh, Christian New. Uh, says, uh, you probably have received a lot of emails on this. We haven't actually, but says, uh, but in your most recent podcast at the time that they had sent this, I think I heard you say, God says, uh, do not fear three times. Oh, uh, boy. Yeah. Says, but if you search on biblegateway.com for fear, not in the, uh, NIV, you get 82. <laughs> I said three and the NIV says 82, 82. Right. Well, I was close. Yes. Yeah. I mean, not that far away. Right. And it's a great show. Three, three goes into 82, you know, right. many, many times. Sure. 82. Honestly. Really? <laughs> right. Well, tell, we can tell who's the Catholic and who's not. Right? Well, yeah, well, there you go. I says, great show. Uh, I love your approach to the podcast. Thank you. Keep up the good work and help save this country. Well, I'm not going to do it by quoting the Bible, I don't think. Yeah, we'll try a different route. Uh, let's see. Our well, I friend... quote it accurately, but I can't reporting from it. <laughs> Goodness, the 82 times. Yeah, yeah. Must be a lot of Old Testament stuff in there. We severely under-calculated the amount of times that that's in the Bible. <laughs> I appreciate you saying we. Well, we did. I mean, you said three, and I can only name two. But then I immediately forgot that I, I believe the angel of the Lord also told Mary not to fear. But I don't know if he said fear not or do not fear. Well, that'll do. Right. So okay, that's stand, the three, but I can't tell you the other 79. Stand uh, corrected. <laughs> I'm going to stick with the Federalist Papers. Go ahead. <laughs> there we go. Uh, let's see our friend Scott from Maple Grove, Minnesota. Uh, says, Dr. Bennett, as we draw closer to the election, uh, I am afraid that uh, President Trump may be in trouble. I think one of the main issues is what Claude talked about when discussing his views on Trump, uh, President Trump, excuse me, uh, and that is style. I, too, dislike President Trump's style. He lacks the, communic- the communicative skills uh, to seize on the accomplishments of the administration, along with uh, a vision for the country. He doesn't act presidential at times with name calling, rudeness uh, and general unfit behavior. It says his uh, narcissistic actions may rub many the wrong way. With that being said, I will still vote for President Trump 
based on the politics. I challenge Claude to look beyond style and focus on substance. The policies put forth by the Trump administration will keep America safer, continue economic growth, protect most the most vulnerable, promote school choice, and generally keep us on the tr- traditional path that makes America a great nation. Uh, the future of America is at stake. Choose substance over style. So Scott's right, you convinced? Me you convinced? Yeah. Well, he's got. I mean, he's 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 got a great point on policies and and what the president. Yeah, well, I'm gonna come back to these suburban women, these college-educated mm-hmm. women, who well, the greatest, the single greatest value is not courage or, you know, um, uh, action or energy or uh, good policy. It's you know, compassion, sensitivity, kumbaya, mm-hmm. and he doesn't do that. Right now, you know, you got this funny thing where you know. Um, you can say, you know, the income of black Americans has risen, created more jobs for black Americans, black unemployment, lowest ever. But, you know, he doesn't emote in the way that he's supposed to. I was saying the other night on uh, TV, just to back to this, because, you know, you and I always talk about mm-hmm. the Senate race in Michigan. Have you noticed this one? Uh, this Gary Peters is the incumbent. He's a Democrat. He's been there a long time. Pretty invisible guy. You've probably never heard of him. He's not in front of the camera. But he's running against John James, who's this very attractive uh, black uh, graduate of West Point, uh, served in uh, Iraq or Afghanistan, Iraq, I think. Um, Handsome and articulate and conservative and tough. And I was just saying, whatever the results, I'm proud of this administration for reaching out to the black community in a way I hadn't seen Republicans do it before. Would you mm-hmm. agree with that? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, their yes. convention, they featured a lot of people. They had the Alice Johnson thing, the first step business jobs. I mean, there've been some funny things with, uh, what's her name's husband. Oh, Kanye West. Yeah. What's yeah. her name? <laughs> Kim Kardashian. <laughs> Sorry. And then the 50 cent, not 50 cents. Ice cube. No, 50 cent. Just there's no S at the end. And he's a, he's a Trump guy. Well, well, here's the thing. I mean, if, if I could, before we even jump into that, I mean, if you go before this election cycle, I mean, even uh, before this, I mean, ha- bringing up Steve Harvey to the White House, bringing up uh, Jim Brown to the White House, yeah. uh, bringing up a coalition of you know black pastors to the White House, to which all of those people, to a person, had been just <laughs> had been just attacked for even entertaining yeah. talking yeah. To, to the president. Uh, so it's not even just now during the election cycle that, that he's doing this outreach. I mean, he's been doing it, you know, since he's been in office. Um, but yeah, Ice Cube uh, apparently has some sort of um, uh, platinum deal or something, whatever he calls it for Black America. And he said he reached out to the Democrats. They said, well, we'll talk after the election. He reached out to the Trump administration. They took the meeting immediately. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he has been out on media saying, listen, say what you want, but, you know, you got to talk. And if you if you want change and you got to, you know, and so yeah, he so he's got that. And then you had a couple of, um, uh, you know, rappers come out and say that they're with it and they're with Trump, you know, uh, yeah, 50 Cent and, and other guys, which you is just, interesting, which <laughs> which 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 which, um, which brings up an interesting situation this close to the election. I mean, will that sway both of black men? I, maybe, maybe. Intellectual uh, direction here, not sound like a member of the clerisy, but there's a phrase, the feminization of American politics. Mm-hmm. Used to be the quality that Americans most wanted in a president was firmness, resolve, mm-hmm. strength. Not sure if you did now, if you had one of those, uh, what do they call those words, word 
clouds, you know, we have all the words up there. Not sure it would beat out empathy or sympathy or compassion. The book by a guy named Philip Reef at the University of Pennsylvania called The Triumph of the Therapeutic. He said, we used to speak a moral language, language of right and wrong. You did this, you did that. Now it's therapeutic. It's, you know, nobody's bad. At, you know, the, one of the slogans in the schools, good kids making bad decisions, you know, mm-hmm. this stuff. But um, I think something's happened to the psyche of the country. And it's something that uh, Solzhenitsyn predicted. He said, we we're more likely to be corrupted by affluence than by suffering. Mm. He said it was easier to keep his faith in the gulag uh, than in Western affluent cultures. Wow. Interesting. I don't know. These are just big time uh, 50 cent thoughts or $5 thoughts or $10,000 thoughts. <laughs> PhD thoughts. And they should be excused and probably dismissed. <laughs> You're listening to The Bill Bennett, Show. Bill Bennett Show. Stay current on the threat posed by China with our friends at Committee on the Present Danger China. Go to presentdangerchina.org. Presentdangerchina.org. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Now let's welcome Joel Farkas to the show. He's the director of the American Strategy Group. I'm a fellow of the American Strategy Group in Washington. Joel, I thought an interesting way in would be on the kind of intellectual journey of uh, Fred Siegel. Maybe his name isn't well known to the audience. I'm sure a few people know he is and have read his stuff. But tell us who Fred Siegel is and why he matters or what was written about him and his intellectual journey might matter in this election. Well, in complete disclosure, Fred Siegel is actually my cousin, my second cousin. My mother and uh, Fred's mother were very, very close friends. And Fred is a, a wonderful friend. We remain close. He's a brilliant writer. He and my mother grew up in Brooklyn, New York, a very liberal uh, enclave in, uh, in the country. He's very well, well known in, in the uh, literary circles. He's been writing about the failing policies of liberalism most of his life. He's not someone that you would expect to be wearing a MAGA hat, but I really respect and admire him, not only as a family member and as a friend, but really as an intellect. And someone who understands one thing that very few people appreciate uh, that uh, that are around today, to have a conversation with someone, have it a disagreement, even maybe have an argument but respect one another. I know of very few people in this country that does that better than my cousin. Okay. So it'd be fair to categorize him uh, for most of his life as, you know, people might say a liberal New York Jewish intellectual. Yes. Okay. Yes. Right. And, and I think that's, I think, I think that's important that you mentioned he, he's a Jewish intellectual because as we know, very few uh, people of the Jewish faith in New York are Trump supporters. And he is. And what made him a Trump supporter? It looks, it looks when you read, there's this article, which we're going to put a link up to. I don't mean to be mysterious about this. That was in, written in the Wall Street Journal by um, one of the editors of the journal uh, about Mr. Siegel's uh, movement here toward to Trump. What moved him to Trump? Foreign policy, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. The notion in America and, uh, and in particular the Jewish community that the dispute, the Arab-Israeli dispute, is exclusively only a Palestinian-Israeli dispute. It's yep. much grander, much broader. And President Trump in, uh, has, is the first president in the history of the United States that took on tired construct, put the capital of Israel in Jerusalem, brought it, and he has successfully gotten rid of what many people in the 
uh, in the Jewish community and, and the conservatives think is a, is a terrible, terrible deal with Iran. And but president's assertive, focused foreign policy was was probably the pr- most prominent. Yeah. The quote here is uh, from Fred Siegel crushing ISIS, pulling us out of the Iran nuclear deal, moving our embassy to Jerusalem and making fools of those people who, this is your point, Joel, insist that the Palestinian issue is at the heart of the Arab-Israeli conflict. Yeah. Uh, the last part is, is really is his visceral focus. Um, to, to ha- and it goes back to his, his willingness and his desire to have a discussion, a, a discussion and debate and a disagreement, but, but really try to right. get to the heart of something. And, and, and he would view those people who are unwilling to have that conversation as foolish. He um, had uh, earlier a distaste for Trump, but he switched for three reasons. The first is foreign policy, maybe most important, as you say. Second, according to the article, his, quote, ability to withstand a prolonged coup attempt by the Democrats in the media, which started with the Steele dossier. If I'm saying what I find impressive about Trump, it's that he survived, Siegel says. He has an extraordinary amount of arrogance, egotism, and self-confidence but he survived. He was yeah. right about foreign policy and he survived. Yes, that's Fred. Survival, uh, the ability to change, the ability to look at issues at, as, as something way different than, in, than conventional wisdom. I, I, I don't think he could ever exist under the notion of conventional wisdom. I think he finds that, would find that phrase absurd. Yeah. Uh, I was uh, on TV the other night and I was saying, I just, just, came up with it. I said, Hamilton, not the guy in the play in New York, but the real one. Alexander Hamilton said in the Federalist Papers, single most important thing we want uh, in the president is he called it energy in the executive. Energy, drive, force, power. If you look at um, Trump and, and Biden on that grid, there's really no question about who's got the energy. Have an energy, have a goal, have a, have a, a willingness to pursue it regardless of attack but harnessing up yes you know harnessing up and going look at he's go- look how he's going now look how trump's going now two three rallies a day he may go to five rallies a day uh the week before the election that's really um, I mean, talk about energy and, and so and and um fred would also to to continue the theme of, of our discussion with my my cousin this election is about turnout there's not undecided voters out there really today this election is about yeah Coming out, turning out, being ex- inspired and energized by your, your views. There's no doubt that President Trump, with the rallies, the three, maybe four, maybe five rallies a day, and its energy is is an enthusiasm. Yeah, that's that's a, that we're gonna we're gonna see in November third. But we're gonna see. But I think that's a pretty impressive effort. I was trying to find a way to describe that energy and effort and enthusiasm. And I, I just endless comments on TV. Everybody says the energizer bunny. My wife hates that little pink bunny with the sunglasses, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. this is not Donald Trump. I think more of the word dynamo, which was uh, a word about a human being. I mean, it was about a person, a person who's just so prodigious in his energy. But I remember uh, Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt's biographer refers to someone describing Teddy Roosevelt as a steam engine in trousers. Uh, uh, and you could say that Trump's a steam engine in a suit, you know? Uh, and he really is. He just goes and goes and goes, just keeps going. I don't know that we have ever seen someone with 
in, in, in my lifetime, I don't recall seeing anybody with this kind of energy, regardless of how old he is. That's not even yeah. relevant. Nobody looks at President Trump and says he's a 74 or whatever. He's only three years younger than Biden. Yeah, yeah. three years. Yeah. Nobody looks at him and thinks that. No, no, nobody says he's old. No. And they thought of everything else to say about him. Yeah, yeah. They haven't said that. The Oxford Dictionary is getting larger and larger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had a chapter in my book, The Devaluing of America. One chapter was just things I had been called while I was in office. You know, <laughs> went on for about 20 pages, but Trump's would be much longer. The third reason, according to the author of this article, uh, that Mr. Siegel gives for voting and supporting Trump is this. This is the one that I find most interesting, maybe down my alley the most. Uh, it goes to the heart of his own political philosophy. He sees the president as a champion of bourgeois values under threat from the clerisy. Mr. Siegel's word for the dominant elites who despise these values. Yes. He regards Mr. Biden as a captive of this clerisy and running mate Kamala Harris as the embodiment of it. The no-betters, the people who know-betters. You remember the deplorables comment by Hillary Clinton. The people who think that they are, who, who friend of mine uses the phrase, suffer, suffer from a severe sense of moral superiority, of believing they are. I had an argument with a very dear old friend, I won't mention his name because he's very well known, who was really anti-Trump, I was pro-Trump, and he said, maybe we should just take off... Um, communicating. I said, all right. I said, you know, uh, the problem with guys of, of your ilk, I said, and I'm not saying it's you, but a lot of people you agree with is that, you know, you really, they really think they're morally superior. And he said, author of many books, I think we are really kind of striking. I think, yeah, I, th I think, I think we are. Yeah. So if you press them, they will, they will tell you that. A wonderful Latin phrase I, I got from George Steiner, the old writer, New York. Odi profanum vulgus. I hate the vulgar crowd. If the vulgar crowd likes it, if regular people like it, I don't like it. If they like McDonald's, I hate McDonald's. If they like Disney World, I hate Disney World. If they like football, I hate football. There's a lot to that. You know, there's a lot to that, I think. You've described Fred's life's work behind his writing. I was talking to him earlier this week, and he mentioned he had a conversation with a an editor and publisher, and he wouldn't tell me who it was. He said, you would know who it, would, who it is, but I'm not going to share who it is with you. And he had a conversation almost identical to what you just said. Um, and and, he, and he, his takeaway, Fred's takeaway was, I was struck by how little he reads. Publisher, well-known, editor. And Fred, would, in his conversation, would ask him certain things in their discussion. He didn't know about it. He didn't read about it. He said, I... I I was struck at two things. One is how little he was aware of things, how little he read. And number two, how morally superior he believed he is. Yeah. His friends. And it, it, it just, it, it, it's, um, it, it, it is probably one of the least known, least told stories, whether or not you are an extreme left-wing progressive uh, 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 ideologue, or whether you are a very wealthy aristocrat or someone who's elite. The one common denominator, some, sometimes people in politics or even in business wonder how those two groups can actually be on the same, on the same side of an issue. And the reason they can is from what you just 
said, Bill, it's there's a commonality of a disdain and and of the the vulgar, deplorable. Quite frankly, it's a middle class. I mean, I don't think the middle class in America understands how despised some of these people, how, yeah. how much some of these people despise them. Yeah, it's it's a, it's really remarkable. It's stark. Yeah, I remember reading, you know. Uh, about H.L. Mencken, you know, the, talking talking about the bourgeoisie, the boobs out there, the middle class, and I just thought it's an old crank, you know, it's a guy with a point of view. But but now I think that's conventional wisdom. That's that's it. And I think a lot of this comes from the academy and the biases of the academy, a bias that runs against the middle class, a bias against uh, making your life in business, um, and uh, you know, just believing that you were that you were better and. You know, Trump appeals to people for the opposite reason. He, you know, when he says something, a lot of people just say, damn right, that's damn right. And, you know, he doesn't use big words and he just communicates directly uh, in the gut. And he's a visceral politician, instinctive politician, sometimes gets him in trouble. Let's depart from uh, Fred Siegel, who's a very smart guy, and just go to his cousin, who's another very smart guy, our guest, Mr. Farkas, Joel Farkas. How do you see the election? And we can come back to these reference points from the article or not. But how do you see the election and why? And when, when do you see the result being finalized? Uh, (laughs) um, Kicker there at the end, yeah. I see the election as not only the political differences, but we have a, 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 a secession and a separatist movement in this country that is geographic. It is people who... Who, are, who live in and who control urban areas and is people who are moving to suburban and rural areas. And it is not a gender-based, racial-based, political-based schism. It is people who admire faith, family, safety, security, and, and their healthy well-being. Those are, that's that's, the, that's the, the, the secessionist movement in this country. What does that mean to the election? Um, the polls that are, from a political standpoint, polls that come out from the media every single day talking about Bi- a blue wave and a Biden sweep and, uh, of Trump and his, and his uh, presidency. That is meant to suppress the vote of conservative Republicans who would vote for Trump. Uh, it's, not, it's not a, it is a voter suppression tactic. So, when I look at the media reports every single day about these polls, I have to take it with a grain of salt. We're going to find, the polls are going to be November 3rd. That's when it's going to be. But I also am witnessing more than 200 million people in this country believe in safety, security, family, faith, those kinds of things. They're not being polled. They're not being questioned. Um, the Nielsen ratings, ratings, when they look at stuff, it's biased towards urban areas because that's where it's easier to get data. Nobody's going out around the country to talk to 200 million people who I believe, and I also know, they have a different view. Why do I know they have a different view? In the last six months, at rates we've never seen, people have chosen to pack up and move from yeah. where they live. It's a it's an act. It's a very important, time-consuming, expensive act. Pack up and move. Go find someplace else, somewhere else. Put down a down payment. Buy a home and put their kids in new schools. This is not something that's an answer, answering a call online or on the phone. This is an act. 
it's happening and happening and happening. And I can't dismiss that. So I, that's why I think the, the interest in President Trump, who, by the way, when you own a home, you vote differently than if you rent yeah. an apartment or a home. It, that is, that's also another factual data point. I have a hard time believing the polls are what they are. Now, to your last question. Um, so do you think he'll win? I do. I, I do. Unassailably. Unassailably. Donald Trump will win. Really. He will win. Well, now, okay. when will it be decided? Um, California just had an election in 2018. Uh, Orange County had people who, at, as of November 3rd, had won the election. Um, ballots continued to be harvest, harvested afterwards. And those people who had thought they had won on November 3rd found out sometime later they did not. Um, it is very reasonable that this will be a, a, a disputed result in the court. So we may not know for a while and things could get very testy, very unpleasant, very nasty. Yeah. You ever seen it this polarized? Yeah. Civil when? War, Civil War, Revolutionary okay. War, well, Jefferson's well, election in 1800. Yeah. You think it was that polarized? Um, See, I, th- I mean, the, the the Jefferson's election, yeah, serious schism, civil war. Our mutual friend, Brian Kennedy, uh, I raised civil war because I raised this essay by Alan Gelzo. I think you know who he is. Gelzo's professor at Gettysburg, but now l- lately at Princeton, said not since the civil war have we had this much division. Our friend Brian, our mutual friend Brian Kennedy, and the president of the American Strategy Group, said it's really more divisive than the civil war. Civil War, there was a huge division over a huge issue, slavery. But the division now is over many more things. So if you count division as multiple, you know, not just how deep it goes, but how many there are, it's more now. Think of, well, think of the differences, the predictive differences, people who own homes and people who don't, people who are married and people who are not, people who are people of faith and people who are not. Yeah, you know, I, I, I agree with you. And, I, and, and Brian, I respect his opinion on these things. But, you know, I speak with him for, to get his opinions on. Yeah, I don't disagree at all. And I, I think I would change my answer about has it has it ever been this bad? Um, because I do agree with what you just said, what you just described. It is many issues. And, yeah. you know, and Fred, Fred Siegel believes the same thing, maybe in a different coming from a different place. He used the words secession of people in this country mm-hmm. and it is what people that are are in one place versus another and the reason they are in those different places is what you just laid out bill um it, it is a family it is their children yeah you know um uh, fred uh, 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 joel kotkin uh, is another fellow yeah. you've had on on your show and he's a great writer on all these issues in terms of where people move, where they live. Yes, yes. That new book, uh, California Feudalism, you know, the, the rich yep. and the poor and no middle class. Well, um, he uh, has done some work with um, Richard Florida, who spent most of his career saying the only place to live is urban areas. It's the creative class. It's the knowledge, knowledge class. Richard Florida has changed his opinion. He has collaborated with Joel Kotkin on other books. I asked him, what caused Richard Florida to change his opinion? What, what caused this about why suburban yeah. and rural yeah. areas are open? He said he had kids. Uh-huh. Right. So there is, if you are going to have 
a family, if you're going to have children, if you're going to, um, you know, respect and regard some of these other ideas, these many, many ideals you mentioned, Bill, you're exactly right. It is probably the worst because it's not one issue. It's a life. It's a life view. Let's go to a few more questions here about this. I, I, I believe uh, I believe that if the election is in any way close and Trump wins, the left will go crazy and they will not concede it. They will try to discredit it and it will be furious and horrible and ugly. I believe if Biden wins, the right conservatives, Americans, middle class folks will be very upset, but they will not go crazy and go violent. They will go, they will turn inwardly and they will turn to their communities and their children, their churches. Uh, that's what I predict. I've told friends and family living in Washington, D.C., if, if, if Trump wins, get out of town that night because I think all hell could break loose because of the very divisions we're talking about, Joel. Yeah. It, yes. I, I don't, I don't disagree with what you said. I would add one more thing though. Um, if, if Biden wins, there is going to be a continued assault on the middle class in this country mm-hmm. because one of the prim- primary tenets is from him and people who support him, no single family housing. You're not going to live. Yeah. 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 We're, the, the, his administration all the way down to local government is going to attack what a middle-class family desires. And that may take some more time to watch it, but it's going to happen. And I, I do not believe that the middle-class this time will stand idly by. Uh-huh. What will they do? Um, I can tell you that. Break uh, windows, set fires. No, no. They're going to no. defend their, their community. Yeah. They're going to defend it. Take the issue of guns, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure you've noticed the ad, the Trump ad, where they have Anderson Cooper interviewing Joe Biden. They said people are fearful. A lot of people who own guns are fearful that if uh, you're elected, you're going to come get take their guns. And he said, bingo. Joel Cotkin's view has been the future, and, and also Fred Siegel, the future great American city, the future of middle class is a series of, of new cities with the things that we've been talking about, 30 to 50, 60,000 people all over this country. And they are not, they, they believe in the First Amendment. They believe in the Second Amendment. And nobody is going to stand idly by while people come in to try to disrupt or decimate. It's not going to, you're not going to allow it. Well, we should see. Um, uh, last thing, because we've been talking a lot about this uh, with our audience and uh, I've been talking to friends and all. This whole thing about Hunter Biden, the Biden uh, camp hasn't denied it. They've disparaged it and said it's, you know, it's what you guys do and it's horrible, it's ugly. But they haven't denied that there was major influence using and peddling here. But I've also said, I don't know that I'd recommend that the president spend a lot of time on this. Um, I'm not sure it's the winning argument. It's more about the things we've been talking about. So let's put a capstone on what, we, what we've been doing. Should he mention it? Should it be predominant? I was watching Fox last night, and a lot of the more ferocious people on Fox were saying, talk about it, make sure the moderator talks about it, keep coming back to it. I don't think I agree. I think uh, The other reason is not just the issues you and I are talking about. I just think the American people right now are, and it's consistent with what you've been saying, focused on the immediate. 
I think they're focused on their well-being. They're, you know, still concerned about what they hear about COVID, though there's, as you know, a lot of false, uh, bad, uh, fake news out there about that. They're worried about that. They're worried about their jobs, their livelihoods, whether they go to work, whether their kids can go to school, you know, what, what the future holds in that regard. Very sensible, you might say, middle-class worries. But that's my view. What, what is your view? I went on. Yeah, I, I, um, I have the same, I have a similar view, probably the same view. Uh, if I don't believe there's undecideds. I believe that if you are also going to vote for Biden, um, when you, when this issue comes up, you put your head down. You don't want to know about it. You don't want to read about it. You don't you don't want to think it happened. Right. Just don't want to think it happened. Um, so you're not going to. There is <laughs> my cousin Fred. I asked him one more question. Were you able to persuade anybody with what yeah. you said? He said, no, absolutely not. He sits on his porch in Brooklyn, right? And talks to people as they go by. Fewer people come by and schmooze with him any longer. Yeah. It's, it's down. He, so in Brooklyn, he's not able, he's not persuasive. See, that, that whole thing of debate, of real debate, real exchange of views is gone. Yeah. It's gone. It, it left during the Clinton era. I, I may have told you this, but when I was, when Clinton was president, I wrote a book called The Death of Outrage. It was the number one bestseller. Number two bestseller was James Carville's defense of Clinton. We changed places a few times, but basically I I sold more than James, and I kept reminding him of that fact uh, every time we we had a discussion. But I said, one thing's for sure, when this is over, you and I are going to be on debate stages all across America. Not a single time, as Bill Clinton would say, not a single time, not once did that happen. People had James Carville and conservative and Christian colleges and universities had me. Yeah. I would I would even say when I got the invitation, why don't we invite, you know, James Carville? That era of open debate and a free exchange of ideas ended. Oh, it, it absolutely does not exist in America today. It does yeah. not. Now, the one thing I would add, though, is because this is a turnout election to, comp- to make sure that the president's base is still his supporters are still energized to come out to say, which is, I believe, to be true, that the Biden family sold their office to a foreign power is something that uh, shouldn't be ignored. He needs to say it. Needs to say it um, now. Do, but I also firmly, fervently believe that the people that want that are have an instinct to support the president to be reelected, they are seeing the, the, the things that we've been talking about, their future. A, a president rarely gets reelected or elected for the first time without where we are yeah. going tomorrow, yeah. yesterday. And and the first point in, in Siegel's change, your cousin and, and what you pointed out and you agreed with him, you know, foreign policy, you know, I mean, the, the country, have people forgotten that the job of president uh, is about uh, the first responsibility is the defense of the people, security yeah. of the citizenry. I mean, he's the commander in chief. He's not. He's not there to fix every leaky faucet of every life. You know, safety yeah. and security in your community, yeah. safety and security in this country. Yeah, I have a pain. I'm unhappy. Can you help me, Mr. President? That's not what. You, that's not what it's about. It's not what the job is. No. So uh, I think the president, when he's as he's griping Joel about. You know, the debate shifted from, you know, national security to global warming and racism. He's got a he's got a he's got a point. He's got a really good point. I mean, the 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 Hunter Biden issue is a 
is as much of a smoking gun topic that can can be out there. Uh, but you're 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 correct, Bill. To spend the entire debate on that issue doesn't do the president's service for the things that he has done, and we we want to hear what's going to happen, what he's con- going to continue to do. Yeah, but you're right, and and I I, I learned that here in this discussion because uh, I probably would have said up till this discussion, I, I'm not even sure he should mention it. He should mention it because it's important, it matters, and it will help to energize that base, right? People get yes. mad when yeah. they hear this. Yeah. Now get people out, and you said that's about turnout. And it has the added virtue of possibly, probably being true. Yes, sir. I'm sure it does. Last thoughts? Um, Bill, I, I, I love your insight. I, I learn more talking to you than I do talking. And this is so consequential, so significant. It is the most important election in a long time, isn't it? Oh, my. It's, um, and you have an opportunity to talk to so many pe- people with a free form, you know, free freedom of debate and disagreement. I just, I'm just happy that you, you do that because there's very few voices in this country that uh, have your opinions on having good discussion, good debate. Uh, you know, what's, what's wrong with a good argument? No kidding. You have an argument. No kidding. Let's try to, let's try to pursue together as, as some truth. I, keep doing what you're doing. I love it, Bill. How about, I just can't, you know, I guess everybody, you know, they say every anthropologist loves his own tribe. Maybe I was secretary of education for too long, but I just can't get out of my head. These kids are out of school and they're not, they're not getting the social interaction. They're not learning how to be, be, be with other you people. They're academically, they're falling way behind. They're driving their parents crazy. Parents are driving them crazy. So the kids, uh, like you know, our, our our kids have gone. All of our kids have gone to wonderful schools. Yeah, and they're out of school. They're online. They're doing Zoom, and and even when they're in school, um, you know, back to does anybody want to debate, listen, read? They're in school, and they're so enamored with the fact that they were accepted to this wonderful school, and therefore the professors there are wonderful. But what are the kids doing? And this is my this is my last thought. It just occurred to me when you went to, to the to the to the young kids of this country. Quit telling us older people that you have all the information in the world at your fingertips. Therefore, you know more than everyone, and you've right. gone to school. No, you do not. You yeah. need to learn to discern that information. And furthermore, reading this, you know, going through the Sparks notes of some sort of thing when you're going to take a test or write a paper isn't yeah. the same as reading, analyzing, thinking, and discerning. Yeah. Quit telling guys my age and your age, Bill, that they know more because they hear it from their professors who say they know more. And no, everybody needs to learn to think, discuss, and discern. I believe one of the reference points for this point in your, in your, uh, history, if correct me if I'm wrong, was the question that came up in the synagogue to the rabbi. Wasn't this something yeah. like that? Yes. Young man said that? Yeah, he, uh, young fellow, late 20s, early 30s, um, bunch, of, bunch of us sitting around, much older than him. Why do we need to read the Torah? Why do we need to read the Bible? We have, our generation has all of the information in the history of the world at our fingertips. Um, 
when we need it, we can access it. There's no generation that could possibly know more yeah. than us, than we yeah. do. Yeah. And by, for the kids out there who are seeking jobs or working with people and trying to improve their career, I want you to think about who wants to spend time talking with someone who believes, number one, they know more than everyone else. Number two, if you disagree, you're stupid. And number, n- number three, um, I'm going to hurt you and shame you because you disagree with me. Yeah, no, I, no one's yeah. going to hire someone with that viewpoint. No, they shouldn't. They shouldn't. They shouldn't. You're absolutely right. Thanks, sir. Thank you, Bill. That does it for today's show, folks. To catch up on previous episodes, go to thebillbennettshow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett. You can like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's billbennettpodcast at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and friends. We'll catch up next week. 